You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, February 3rd. Do you have your Super Bowl picks in? Heads versus tails? Length of the national anthem? Over-under on Tony Romo Corona commercials? Do I have bittersweet memories of bonding with my daughter over football and gambling? Did it bring a tear to my eye that time she said the happiest day of her life was the time the Saints, four-and-a-half-point favorites but only leading by three, kicked a meaningless last-second field goal to cover the spread? That can't... Oh, wait. That was Homer and Lisa. Ah, that's a little bit different. Well... I'm sure it will be a good game nonetheless. I hear even old Tom, what's his name, is still kicking around. We do have matters of great importance to cover, though. It's been about one full year since the Quali Research Solution debuted, and we caught up with Project Change lead Nicole Joyce to get her thoughts on how that's going so far. This is Mark Herzberger, IT Services Communications Manager. Today I'm joined by Nicole Joyce. She's Managing Director research, administration, operations, and analytics. Nicole, welcome to the pod. How are you? Oh, great. Thanks for having me. You got it. And how has your work from home experience been? You know, it's actually been kind of interesting. I have a five-year-old who you're definitely going to hear in the background uh, because we're, of course, doing the distance learning in kindergarten. And all I'll say is I'm glad we're doing it because I think I need to revisit all of those lessons. It's way more advanced than when I was in kindergarten. Uh, But working from home has actually been great in the sense that at first I did not love it. I thought, give me those four sacred balls of my office, please. But being able to kind of be home, see my son kind of grow and learn and uh, investing in some ergonomic office supplies has made it actually delightful. And uh, I did, you might remember, I did meet your son virtually. I interviewed you for more of like a print article back in uh, April. He made a few uh, cameos, so hope he's doing well. Oh, yes. (laughs) He's probably about as loquacious as his mother is. (laughs) Right. And uh, so what is your role at UC San Diego and how long have you been doing it? It's kind of an interesting question to answer. Uh, I think on paper, as you mentioned, my role is the managing director of research administration, operations and analytics. Uh, The truth is, though, I just stepped into that role last July and uh, I really didn't give up some of the other roles that I that I play. So some of the other roles that I play, not just managing our research administration systems from an operational perspective, as well as our award team that enters a ton of awards for our $1.4 billion research portfolio, but uh, the reporting, the analytics, but I also oversee our training client support and communications team that serves the research administration community. And then I've spent several years as the ESR change lead and change practitioners. And I've been with UC San Diego for about nine years now. And I've kind of always served in one of those capacities through the duration of my role or some combination of them. So I feel like I've been able to really kind of grow and develop into them. 
And we invited you here today to talk uh, perhaps about one of your many roles in particular. So we wanna focus in on the Kuali Research System. It's been live now for one year and change. And Kuali Research is uh, one of the signature projects within the ESR program. So we'll wanna discuss the project and the application through that lens. But to set the stage, uh, what are the functions that Kuali Research does Quality Research is a contracts and grants system. And within that system, it has various different modules. And all of these are related to sponsored research. And I don't know if you or those listening are aware, but while we do a great job of serving students and we have phenomenal faculty that do that, we also are an incredibly successful top tier, top in the world research institution. Our research portfolio currently sits about $1.4 billion, and we've been surpassing $1 billion for about the past 10 years now. So we're incredibly successful when it comes to research, and we have some of the top minds in the world working at our institution. But in order to support that incredible research portfolio, we have a lot of research administrators that assist with the proposals, with the negotiations of contracts, um, with managing the awards that come in and, and bring that research dollars to our institution. So what the Kuali Research System does is allows us to capture and to process that activity. And a core tenet of ESR uh, that it was always took a focused approach to organizational change management with a real dedication to focusing on the people side of change. And for this Kowali research project, you are the change lead and the change practitioner. So how did you end up in those roles and what are the main jobs of a change lead and change practitioner? So the funny thing is, when I first started at UC San Diego, I was kind of thrown into several projects aimed at transitioning the campus from a paper-based process into an electronic system. And one of those was our material transfer agreements, and then the other one was our electronic proposal development system. And to be honest, I never thought that I would actually still be working in that area and then being part of the projects that would be replacing those very systems. So really, I was asked to step into those roles by our executive leadership and, you know, kind of caught me off guard because I thought, oh, okay, you know, I've, I've moved on to doing, you know, focusing primarily on training the uh, university and institution on research administration. But whenever I was approached about stepping into those roles by executive leadership, I, I think that they kind of saw that I had had that experience on being on that bleeding edge, or at least it was the bleeding edge for us at UC San Diego, and maybe the stamina and fearlessness that it takes to try to turn such a big shift and adopt that change. And, you know, of course, as they say, change is slow, it's hard, it's never in a straight line. So I think it takes kind of that tolerance and that intrepid level of grit but it also takes a level of finesse. And I think that given the roles that I played in those transformational projects and in training and development for the research administration area specifically, I think I had a lot of exposure to research administrators and I was pretty familiar with the various cultural terrains that we have at UC San Diego. So as far as the main jobs of those roles, to be honest, they can be really complex. It's complex work because there's typically 
multiple things that you're managing at one time. And that can be anything from assessing the change, uh, trying to bring clarity to any of the objectives or the goals. When I say that, I mean not just from a visionary perspective, but from an operational perspective and trying to get those things into alignment. And then tying that together with things like comprehensive communication plans where you could have multiple audiences, messages, content, delivery methods, and comprehensive training plans, again, with various objectives or, or not just focusing on the knowledge, skills, and abilities side, but really focusing on the attitude and the commitment and the confidence that it's going to take to adopt these new behaviors, these systems, these tools, these business processes, um, or even just the belief that it's worthwhile to make these changes and apply them. And then being able to do that with a level of seamlessness at some point. You know, I think the, the unique thing about change management too is that it doesn't end when the project ends. You know, I think with project management work, it's pretty exciting because when the system launches, it's live. And yes, you're always going to do tweaks or changes or configurations or updates, but the work is pretty much delivered. Whereas with change management, there's still another phase after you've kind of gotten to that implementation. And that's the reinforcement to make sure you're truly achieving what you set out to do. So this work can take years. It can take years to see the results. And I think that because there isn't that instant gratification and because what at one point in time might look really good and successful, might backslide a little bit, um, it just takes stamina and uh, good humor. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, on that note, how would you describe the change journey that your users and your community took and likely are still taking? I think the change journey is filled with its highs and lows. I don't know if it's too trite to go with a roller coaster example, but I think that there can be times when something is greatly anticipated and it brings a lot of joy and excitement and maybe some unexpected successes. And then there are times when it just doesn't work out that way. And you kind of dip down low and think, well, that didn't work out as well as we had hoped. So I think the change journey is just not that straightforward. And I think the folks that uh, we've worked with have at least approached it with a really good attitude. I think that matters a lot. And quality research uh, had a lot of staff involvement. And, and one of the, another key tenet of ESR is using our own UCSD talent rather than hiring consultants. So what, what staff were marshaled to work on quality research and how did that approach uh, ultimately play out uh, over the course of the project? Well, research administration to me, I will always say this, is sort of like the best kept secret of professions. It is the most important profession you really never knew about. So you have these phenomenal scientists, they're going out there, they're changing the world, they're addressing some of our world's problems right now. And yet you gotta have a crew that helps you with the paperwork, right? Because we work with anybody from the government to foreign institutions or companies, industry, nonprofits. 
So you need a certain level of expertise in order to navigate not just the regulations, but the little nooks and crannies and specialties that happen across this variation. And so to try to bring in consultants who don't know this area and who don't know this area of research and research administration, especially for a top tier research institution, I think it would fall pretty flat. I think that they would be able to deliver on some aspects, burn through a lot of time and probably a lot of money trying to just even understand the landscape. Mm -hmm. So we really tapped into our research administrators. We have a vast network of folks who sit in the departments, folks who sit in our central offices, and they're all used to working with each other on a regular basis. So we didn't have to spend any time with you know, the forming, storming, and norming. We already had those relationships and that infrastructure built. We already have our in-house expertise. We have a lot of expertise on the campus, especially with research administration. So we didn't have to re-educate anybody on what an IDC rate is or why export control matters when you're working on a proposal. You know, these folks know it, they have that information. So I think what for us, we worked with I think over a hundred subject matter experts really by the time we were done with the project. But I think by leveraging our in-house knowledge and talent, we were able to really expedite what could have been a much longer implementation and rollout. We didn't have to waste time getting to know each other. We didn't have to waste time re-educating people on the nuances of a very nuanced profession. And that really allowed us to focus on improving current processes, not exploring what processes should be put into place improving them quickly, and then configuring a system around it. And Leah, let's follow that up. You mentioned process improvement. Process improvement is another core tenet of ESR. And the, the idea there is to marry process improvement with the technology upgrade. Um, so what were, the, what were some of the process improvement steps uh, the project took? And what were some of the insights gleaned? So when we started to kick off the quality research project, we knew that if you automate a bad process, all you get is a faster bad process. And this was the perfect opportunity for us to leverage the expertise and say, what's working currently? What's not working currently? And how do we start to align in a more enterprise and centralized fashions? How do we make this research administration at UC San Diego? And so we really applied Lean Six Sigma. I mean, it's a proven methodology. We were able to leverage some of our in-house talent again for that. So we didn't have to hire consultants, which again, I think this worked out really well. I think it was incredibly taxing for all of our subject matter experts and for uh, the resources involved that already had day jobs. But I think that it did pay off in the end because of that level of ownership. So we leveraged uh, the Lean Bench which were Lean Six Sigma experts who were able to come in and be that neutral third party. I mean, again, we're taking various cultures and business practices that have been developed over you know, 20, 30 years, and we're talking about changing them. We're talking about translating that into a system configuration. So how do you reconcile those and, and, and move from a current state, which might have a lot of variation across the campus in the way that we do something, to a future state where we all do it the same way or close to the same way. So I think it worked out really well. We really kind of started by creating a landscape of research administration, the pre-award side, the post-award side, and looking at the highest possible level of breaking down the life cycle 
and those buckets underneath each part of that life cycle and which ones we defined would be in scope for our project and which ones were integrated with other projects and maybe had a better footing in the, say, the financial side and should be undertaken by the financial side. So I think that in doing it kind of systematically and also knowing that we couldn't tackle everything, we were able to find and focus on the the things that needed the most improvement and that might be the most critical to the configuration and implementation of the system that would also provide us with the most amount of reward. And we set that up and had it as traceability through our entire project. So everything links back to that business process improvement effort. It was really kind of the bedrock of what we did with the project. So everything from defining the current state to coming up with the proposed future state to configuration, to testing, to training. And now we're at the phase now post-implementation, how do we align our change requests to now continuously improve on what we set out to do? Or what are some of the things we weren't able to tackle that we can now tackle? So I think it was incredibly successful. I think because we hadn't done this sort of work before. It was also very enlightening for all of our subject matter experts. And I think it created a lot of transferable skills that people are now, I see, using that knowledge of process improvement in their own areas outside of the ESR projects. And we've mentioned a couple of times the journey to configuring the system. And again, one of the, the key tenets of ESR is to use systems as they come from the maker, um, as close to that out-of-the-box functionality as possible versus too much local customization. So what was that process like and what were some of the decisions made along the way? I think one of the very important decisions that was made early on in the project before it even kicked off was that this would be a configuration, not a customization project, and that we were in its approach moving to a vendor solution and that we were just taking that customization card off the table. And I think that that allowed us to, again, move pretty quickly and to try to put the focus on our business process rather than the system. I think with customization, it can be really tempting. And we had seen that in a lot of our previous projects. And we saw that with the fact that we had a lot of custom built software is that if you design a process that's unique for one area, it's really hard to scale that out. And it's really hard to support it if it was only developed in one area. So taking an enterprise approach allowed us to center around the fact that this is again, research administration at UC San Diego. This is how we do this type of work And it wasn't saying that there aren't inherent variations or nuances to the work, but it was saying at its highest level, it's really at an institutional level that we do it and on behalf of the institution that we do it. And when this airs, it'll be about 53 weeks since the go live. So basically one year. Um, And I know when you had the go live, you had a pretty sophisticated support apparatus in place. It used uh, WalkMe. It used the, at the time, the new service and support model. It used uh, the the warm, friendly human beings from your office. So how do those support mechanisms, you know, support each other? And how did the go live last January uh, go for you all? When we implemented WalkMe, we were definitely 
on the bleeding edge of that technology digital adoption platform. And we took an intentional approach where we did something that was non-traditional, hadn't been done before in the campus, but we saw a lot of opportunity and decided that we would be bold enough to be the proof of concept and see if it worked. It worked phenomenally. Um, and it's still working very well for us because what it did was allow us to keep the scope of, uh, you know, the, the training, the number of people we needed to bring in for training and involve in training low. It allowed us to deploy information very quickly. I think everybody was impacted by COVID, but when our, we were impacted by COVID and we knew that we're a research, sponsored research system, we were going to have an influx and probably wanted to capture information about COVID-related proposals or uh, research projects that were impacted due to COVID. Rather than taking a long time to train, communicate, and deploy messaging about the changes in the system that were COVID-specific, we were able to just put a splash when somebody logged in to the system we were able to control who saw it. We were able to report on how many people saw it or interacted with that content. So I think that by taking the digital adoption approach as the kind of primary tenant of our training strategy and then building the rest of the strategy around it worked really, really well. The nice complement to this too is that with that reportability, we can see how engaged our users are, what kind of content is working, what is not working. So we can really embed what a user needs when they need it. They don't have to go out and search. It's really at the point of process. And the nice integration is that WalkMe allowed us to give people an easy way to move directly into their client support system. So if they were using something and they were still having trouble after engaging with WalkMe and they needed to reach out to client support, they were able to go directly into that system. So it was a really nice integration. And then through client support, if we weren't able to immediately address their issue, we were able to escalate it. And we can also see what is trending and then create knowledge base articles. Again, all of it kind of, it, it works almost like an ecosystem. And really at the center of that is trying to provide the best user experience. And I think that that was one of the things that was different about this approach when it we thought through the training, the communication, and the client support ecosystem is centering it around the user, but providing a more modern approach of something similar to what we're used to interacting with in our personal lives. And we go to our banking software, we expect to be able to you know, access client support pretty easily or to Google or YouTube or find that information. WalkMe and ServiceNow allow us to do that at the university and to embed it within the technology itself. And we don't want to bury the lead too much here. So as I mentioned, the system has been live for just over a year. How has it been performing and how have the users both adopted and adapted? Right, so I'll be honest. I think that there were a lot of things that were hugely successful. I think that the implementation went really well. I think that people were able to get in and use it very seamlessly. But I did 
see an underutilization of some of the features we were most excited about. I think there was a slight underutilization with the detailed budget. I think there was some slight underutilization with our system to system functionality, but we had some groups on campus who were incredibly enthusiastic and who were really bold and stepped up and said, you know what, we will try, we will experiment. So even though out of the gates, it wasn't what we had originally hoped for with some of the more advanced features, um, we have seen an uptick in the adoption of those features over time. I think we probably would have been able to um, increase that level of adoption had we not been in the throes of responding to COVID that put us kind of on the back foot a little bit. But I will say that we've had very positive reviews and some of those little uh, quirks of the system that were very noticeable when we were doing user acceptance testing uh, don't seem to stand out once we went to post implementation. I think also that the users know we're listening. So whenever we get feedback, we definitely have a really nice post-implementation plan on how that feedback gets uh, fed into our level of governance for review to be addressed. And so I would say that if I were to give our users kind of a, a score, I think that they have done you know, an outstanding job of really adopting and adapting to so many changes in their systems, in their business processes, and to some of these new tools that we implemented in tandem, like WalkMe, like ServiceNow. And I think that in another year, if we, we chat in another 53 weeks, that we're going to even see better results. Well, over the next 53 weeks, what's on your roadmap going forward? We have some exciting stuff coming up. So we do have additional scope of agreement types that weren't in the original implementation. So our unfunded agreements will be launching in March. We will also have uh, the material transfer agreement project kicking off and to bring those into quality research as well. And uh, I, I think that I'm incredibly hopeful that you know, the world is changing around UC San Diego but I'm inspired that UC San Diego as a change maker campus, we have the gusto and the grit that we are changing and evolving. And I think that's an incredibly bold and powerful move for an institution of higher education. That's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for joining us, Nicole. Thank you so much. It has been a blast and I look forward to chatting with you in the future. We'll see you in 53 weeks. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you, Nicole and Mark. What a great interview. I was going to give you my Super Bowl picks, but we're out of time. Until next week. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics... Send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily. <laughs>